there. If you want to get into a life group, then I want you to send an email to my friend Tim English, tenglish at hillchurch.com, and he will get you into a life group. We're highlighting a few out there. Uh, since I'm up here, I get to highlight one. It's, it's the one, if you're in your 20s, if you're a 20-something, uh, Kristen and I and, and, um, and another couple, Kevin and, and Susan Lee, are going to lead a, a group for, for 20s. It'll be this Thursday night. It'll be two Thursday nights a month. We'll do a little dinner, and, and we just want to journey with you and, and, and have fun with you. I like that when someone my age uh, breathed into me when I was in my 20s, and we want to give back on that one. So you're more than happy to sign up and see us at our house this, this Thursday at 630. I want to start this way. If you wouldn't mind opening your Bibles, or you can follow along in the screen if you want, or there's a Bible in front of you if you want to you grab it. We're going to be in Exodus chapter 20, verse 17. Let me, let me read these words to you. This is what God is telling us. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife. If you're a woman, you should not covet your neighbor's husband. Or his male or female servant, his ox, I like to think of that as his car, or his donkey, his truck, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Let's pray. Oh God, please prepare us to receive your word this morning. Open our minds and our hearts uh, to your truth here, to these, these love instructions that you're giving to us to help us live the godly way to help us show people that there is a better way to live, God. So please move in our hearts, move us from a life of coveting to a life of contentment. In Jesus' mighty name, we pray and ask, amen. Does anybody here remember the London riots that happened a few years back? Maybe, maybe not. Okay, some of you do, right? Now, I remember them because at that point in time in my life, I was still heavily consulting as I was pastoring. And, and this is what happened when I was in Michigan. And, and, and in my consulting practice, uh, it was weekly. I was dealing with these London market insurers. So what was happening in London mattered to me. And, and what was going on there is about a week long. In the evening, uh, there were riots uh, throughout the city of London and in various big cities of the UK and the, and the newscasters, the news media were talking about the, the violence that was happening, the looting that was happening and the, and the destruction of, of, of property that was happening. And, and one of the reporters was able to actually interview one of the looters, one of the, the rioters. It, was a, it, happened to be, it actually happened to be a young woman. And, and, this, and this is how the conversation went. The, the reporter asked this question, why are you out here doing this? Uh, the, the, the rioter responded, to show the police and the rich that we can do what we like. The reporter asked, who are the rich? And the rioter said, you know, people with money, people who own businesses. The reporter asked, that is why you are stealing from them? The, the rioter, the looter said, yeah, to show them we can do what we like. Now, at this time, the news commentators, as I was listening to various news agencies, they were struggling with trying to understand why these people were rioting. They couldn't put their finger on it. Uh, there was something called Occupation Wall Street that happened, a movement. I don't know if it happened shortly thereafter, but you may know today the Tokyo riots. Anyone here of the Tokyo, Tokyo riots that are going on right now? Anybody? Anybody watch news? Okay. 
Yeah, so unlike the Tokyo riots that are happening right now that are all about a political issues, social unrest issues, these, these riots that happened in London, there was no political agenda here really. I mean, there, there, was no, there were no marches, there were no like slogans on placards, there were no speeches, just a mob of mostly young people looting, breaking windows, burning cars, stealing stuff, destroying property to show them that we can do what we like. And, and as, I, as I sit there and I think about those uh, and ponder those, those, those London riots, I believe that they are a graphic example of why we have been given this 10th instruction by God, do not covet. I believe that they're a graphic example of what happens when we do not follow this instruction. Now, now many of us, when I was talking about these riots, we may have been sitting there thinking, what a bunch of thugs. And I have to admit, when I was reading the news or hearing the news, watching the news, I thought that. And I also had these, this feeling of moral superiority. Like, man, I, are you kidding me? Going out there and just, just looting for the sake of looting and, and breaking stuff and, and going crazy. I, I'd never do that. And then as I began to think about and ponder why, why, what was driving it? I began to go, hmm. And as I went, hmm, I started to think, yeah, I I probably would never be a part of a mob creating havoc and looting and stealing and destroying property, but coveting, that is desiring that which belongs to someone else is a feeling, is a desire that I am well acquainted with. This young lady who was interviewed, one of the looters, I'm sure she just didn't wake up in the morning and say, hey, I'm gonna go steal some stuff tonight. I'm gonna go destroy some property tonight. I'm sure others just didn't wake up in the morning and say, hey, I'm gonna create havoc tonight. I'm gonna go do some violence tonight. No, Uh, it all began with this desire that began to well up in them and to move them to do things that maybe they never thought that they were capable of of, of doing. A desire, again, that I'm all too familiar with if I'm gonna be honest with myself. I used to covet a certain way of living a certain lifestyle. When I was a lawyer at this law firm, I always looked at those that were ahead of me, right? Some 10, 15 years ahead of me and some you know, just a few years ahead of me. And I would covet the country club lifestyle, right? I, I, I coveted, I, I wanted to be a part of this one club downtown Pittsburgh called the Duquesne Club. I mean, it was where all the hoity-toities, all the power players went, and I loved being invited to a lunch there. I mean, everything was marble everywhere. White linen, so many pieces of silverware. I, I, didn't, I, I just started from the outside and worked in because I didn't know what was going on, right? And you could just feel the power in the room. And I coveted that big time. I coveted the sweet ride, the Benz, the Jag. I, I coveted these handmade suits that those ahead of me were doing. And so I got to that point, I started doing the same thing. I, 
man, I wanted to be viewed as a person with power. I wanted to be viewed as that person that had that position, that title, that authority, man. And I went after it with a vengeance. On my good day, I had a tinge of jealousy of those who were ahead of me. On my bad days, oh yeah, I hoped that they failed so I could win. See, because at that point in time, I was fighting for a partnership. And those who were ahead of me who didn't make partner yet, they were my competitors, right? And so, and so I actually hoped for their demise. I celebrated when they got axed. I actually had a picture book because our firm had a picture book of all the attorneys, right? And they'd issue one every year. And I would actually take a, a pen and I would cross out the people who got eliminated. My competition gone. I coveted what they had and I hoped they failed so I could get that. Are you following me this morning? You would never do something like that, right? So let me ask, what do you covet? Do you covet your neighbor's or your relative's stuff? Their house, their car, their job, their position. There's so many things to covet, isn't there? Their marriage. Their kids, they seem to be issue-free. I want issue-free kids. Right? Maybe you covet their appearance. (laughs) Their body. Their beauty. Their skin. Their hair. Maybe you covet who they've become because you haven't become that yet. Maybe you covet their good fortune, their success. Again, there are so many things to covet. And as I think about, and again, as I think about these, these London riots, I'm, I, 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 I can't help but guess that many of these people of, that made up this mob, they envied, they coveted what these other people had, things that they believed that were beyond their reach. And so when they had the opportunity to take, to obtain that which they desired, they literally reached out and took it. And then all this pent up frustration and resentment that had built up over time, it expressed themselves in just destroying property that they couldn't take. I'm not trying to justify at all what this mob of people uh, did throughout that week in London, but their behavior began with the same feelings that you and I just admitted to having. So then I'm caused to wonder, am I that different than these people who made up the mob in London that week? And coveting, when you think about it, it opens up the door to so much of what the other nine instructions, these other nine commandments prohibit. Think about it. If we covet other people's stuff, what may we do? Steal it. 
We actually, we actually may, if we, if we covet, we actually may murder someone. What? If not physically with words. And we'll look at that example in a minute. If we covet someone else's spouse, we may commit adultery. If we covet someone else's reputation, we may be tempted to bear false witness about them behind their back. That's gossip. We, 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 we actually may even get on social media and say mean and nasty stuff about them. Are you, are you following me this morning? Coveting opens up the door to all these tainted desires within us and the, and the subsequent consequences if we act on those desires. The problem not necessarily is desire in and of itself. The problem is the object of our desire. That is that which belongs to someone else. The Bible tells us that God made humans a little lower than the angels, but it seems that we desire just always a little bit more than the Joneses, which makes us envious people. Hear me on this. Wanting something is not wrong, per se. It's really wanting and desiring something that belongs to someone else and then resenting them for it. I think that's the extreme of coveting. I like to think of coveting this way. Coveting is desire plus resentment. And when we go down that covet road, we begin to ask questions like this. How come they get to have that and I don't? How come they get to play that role and I don't? How come they have that job and I don't? How come they got that promotion and I didn't? Something quite ordinary, like a lawnmower, becomes extraordinary when our next door neighbor gets a new one and it also happens to be a riding one, right? I mean, we see them out there riding on it and we may have some feelings of jealousy, but the issue is, is that we begin to see our neighbor not as a human being, not as a God creation, but as a competitor, And when we start viewing people as competitors, it's so easy to dehumanize them in various ways. It's so easy to cut off relationship with that person who's no longer a human being. It's a competitor. And we begin to resent them instead of celebrating with them. Wow, hey, that's awesome. You saved your pennies. You got a new lawnmower. Give me a fist bump. When can I borrow it? Right? <laughs> They may be happy to do that. Maybe that just develops a relationship. Are you, are, you, are you following me? It's interesting to note that coveting that which belongs to others is as old as the human race. Think about it. God created the first humans in a world where all, where all could live in harmony, where all life could flourish. I mean, Adam and Eve, they they were given the opportunity to eat from any tree, any fruit, any vegetable, except one. And they also were given the opportunity to, to interact with God in the cool of the evening. I mean, life was good. All of their needs were met. They had everything they needed. Everything was good until, well, until that, that serpent came on the scene and introduced envy, coveting. Look at what God has, the serpent said. God 
has all this knowledge of good and evil and God is keeping all this knowledge of good and evil to to himself. If you eat this fruit, then you will be just like God. And so we're told in Genesis chapter three, verse six, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, he's not off the hook, who was with her and he ate it. It seems like, like this woman, like Adam and Eve, it seems like they, 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 they never really paid much attention to the fruit of that one tree until the serpent made them aware of it, focused their attention on it. It, it, seems, it seems that she had, and he had no real desire to eat the fruit from that tree until, until that serpent invited them to take their eyes off all the abundance that God had given to them and focus on the one thing they couldn't have. It seems like the serpent put up these like billboards that covered every other tree that was in the garden and then shined a light on that one tree that they couldn't eat from and then said this, you deserve it. You need it. You have a right to it. You'll be just like God. Again, everything in their life, everything about Adam and Eve's life up until this point in time was good. They had everything they needed. And then envy, coveting, reared its ugly head. And hear me on this. Adam and Eve began to tell themselves the lie that their life could be, it could be a little better if they could just eat from that fruit. Life can be a little bit better if you just had that promotion at work, right? Or you just had that new thing that your neighbor has, right? Not like God hasn't provided food, clothing, shelter for you, but if you just had that, then everything would be good, right? And they told themselves that lie. They actually then believed that lie and then they acted on that lie. And then as we all know, hell broke loose. How many times have we acted in the same way? Just look at your credit card statement to find out. Just saying. Coveting in the Garden of Eden, and it led them to to reach out and take something that wasn't theirs. Coveting outside the garden led to murder. Adam and Eve's two kids, Cain, the farmer, Abel, the uh, the shepherd, they 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 presented an offering to God. And this is what we're told in Genesis chapter four, beginning verse. Three. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord, and Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain became very angry, and his face was downcast. We are not told why God preferred Abel's offering over Cain's offering. But what is clear is that Cain coveted the approval that his brother received. This, this, this one, this coveting approval 
I think runs rampant in our society. I I think if we're honest, we all have engaged in that, right? Oh, my brother or my sister, they got mom and dad's praise. Where was mine? Oh, my brother and my sister, they, they got inheritance that I, they got a little bit more. Why? Work, coveting one of our colleagues. They just got some praise, they got some kudos. I want that. And if we let coveting just take roots in our heart, then what happens is we'll see bad things. You start Xing people out. You start working towards their exit. This is what God says to to Cain. He confronts Cain with his anger and he says, hey, you got two choices here. Verse seven, if you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Cain doesn't. He lets this this envy of his brother, this coveting of this approval overtake him. He invites his brother out to his field and then he murders his brother. His competitor. If God isn't gonna give approval to me, then Abel isn't gonna be able to rest and enjoy it either. This is what we're told next in verse nine. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? And Cain's response for me gets to the heart of why we so desperately need this this 10th instruction, do not not covet. Cain says this, "I, I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? And when I read this, I find myself wanting God to respond super quickly to him and say, yes, you are your brother's keeper. Therefore, you should know where he is. That's what it means to be brothers. That's what it means to be neighbors. But Cain apparently stopped viewing Abel as his brother. Cain started viewing Abel as his competitor. He dehumanized him. And when he dehumanized him and viewed him as a competitor, it was so much easier for him to eliminate the competition by killing him. We would never do that, would we? But how often do we with our words, backstabbing people, gossiping about them, talking maybe to our boss that oversees both of us and just playing fast and loose with the facts to try to turn someone's view of someone who works with us so that we can get the promotion, so that we can get the praise that our colleague just got. Are you, are you with me? My friends, the Bible is littered with stories of people coveting that which does not belong to them. I mean, Joseph's brothers, they coveted um, the approval, the affection that their dad was giving to their brother Joseph. And so what happened is, happens is, is they, they eliminated him. They sold him off as a slave. 
they eliminated the competition. David, he coveted his uh, neighbor, I guess really his employee's wife. And so he had someone go get her. He forced her to have sex with him, right? Then he uh, murdered the competition, murdered her husband once he learned that she was pregnant with his child and then took her as his wife. How many of these other nine instructions did David violate after he violated this one? After he let coveting take root? And then there's King Ahab. King Ahab, he wanted to get his neighbor's vineyard and when he couldn't get it, he just killed the dude and took it. These are stories about people who had everything and yet they didn't have the one thing that is what their neighbor had. And so they took it and they broke relationship with that person, in some cases, even murdering them. So I have to ask you, how much is enough for you? Seriously, how much is enough? When John D. Rockefeller was asked that question, he said, just a little bit more. The even darker side of coveting for me is when we delight in the downfall of the person that we envy, that we covet, and then invite others to celebrate with us in their downfall. I hate to admit this, but when I axed people, I actually felt a little happy. Because there's only so many partnerships that are going to be handed out. And I was glad they got axed. Because I wanted that which they were ahead of me on. That's sick. That's deranged. That's evil. That's not godly. Are you following me this morning? This, this kind of coveting this, that celebrates the downfall of someone else, <laughs> it's rampant in youth sports, my friends. My son played on the travel ball circuit for a number of years, and I coached on it in a number of years. <laughs> in the times that I wasn't coaching, I would sit there and I would listen to these parents dehumanize other kids on the team because they wanted their kid to have the spotlight or they wanted their kid to have more PT playing time, right? Oh, it was so bad. 11-year-old, a 10-year-old or a 12-year-old, they're just trying to figure out life and yet you're gonna rip their heart out. You're actually hoping they make an error on the baseball field so that they will be benched so that your kid can get in the game. That is sick. That's evil. And again, we, we, we see this in, in workplaces. <laughs> Seriously, how many of you have celebrated the demise of one of your colleagues because it would benefit you? No one's gonna, okay, at least we got a couple honest people in the room. 
And we have to confess that's messed up, right? Mm. Coveting. It's a relationship destroyer. Sometimes it actually even happens in churches. Uh, Gag me with a spoon. I remember when I was first here. I remember standing right here. And I remember celebrating, celebrating one of our local nonprofits in town. Just giving them kudos. I mean, they're kicking it. They're, they're, they're helping people who are struggling. And then I had to hear all this nonsense. Why didn't we get praise? Why are you praising them? Are you serious? There's not a limited praise pie. I'll give you kudos too. Are you following me? When that happens in the church, man, I just, I don't even want, I don't even want to be there. Are, are you with me this morning? And it just shows an ugly image of those of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus Christ. This kind of coveting drives a wedge and destroys relationships. I shouldn't even say this kind, any kind of coveting drives wedges and destroys relationships. The apostle James puts it this way in James chapter four, uh, verse one and two. What causes fights and quarrels among you? I think he's talking to church people. I'm not sure. Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. We kill with words too. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. In other words, uh, what James is is saying here is is that it is these deep-seated, these deep-rooted, tainted desires that make us continuously discontented dissatisfied with our lot in life. Why? Why does it do that to us? Because we're constantly comparing ourselves to somebody else. Constantly wanting what they have because we think that would make our life better. Hear me on this. Comparison is the thief of your God joy. Comparison is the roots, I think, of all inferiority. Comparison will take us down this bad, bad, coveting path. It will cause us to resent our colleague, our our brother, our sister. It will cause us to dehumanize them, not only break relationship with them, but maybe something even worse. Maybe we'll try to hose them behind their back, get others to resent them too. In the 10th instruction, let me read it again. God tells us this. You, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male or female servant or his ox or donkey or anything else that belongs to your neighbor. Why? So that we don't dehumanize a God creation. So we don't break relationship with someone that we're supposed to live in right relationship with. So how do we actually live that way? How do we actually live this covet free life. Anybody here want to live a covet free life? Yeah. All right. How, how does that, how does that actually, how does it actually happen? Yeah. 
I don't want this to sound trite because it's so true and powerful. God is the only one who can satisfy our heart cravings and heart desires. Why? Because God is our creator. Makes sense, right? If you believe that. I mean, if we want to live at peace with God, with others, and with ourselves, then we must submit to the lordship of Jesus Christ and allow Jesus to feed us with godly things, to fill us with the fruits of the Spirit, right? To lead us, to guide us, to transform us, to give us that fresh start, to give us that meaning and that purpose in life that we crave so much. And then God will use our brothers and sisters in Christ to really, to really help us go down this, this way of life, the, the most satisfying, thirst-quenching, fulfilling life there is. I can testify to that. When we covet, we do not live peaceful lives. When we're content in Christ, when we're living in our sweet spot, there isn't a sweeter, more peaceful, more joyful life than that. Are you with me? First step, here I am. You are my creator. Give me what I need. I trust that you have my best interest at heart. Then I wanna give you two practical steps to living a covet-free life. Again, these practical steps, they're not gonna matter Unless we get that first one, unless we say, here I am, right? Unless we submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, okay? Because we can't do it ourselves. So the first one is this, prayer. Ask God to lessen these coveting desires, these coveting appetites. When Kristen and I were moving from a a career of law into a, a life of ministry, we both looked at each other and said, whoa, God has a lot of work to do within us. And one of them was this whole coveting thing. Oh, we, we, the, the, we let the world really just generate a lot of desires and a lot of appetites. And we were used to so many things and we were used to living our lives to the next thing and the next thing and the next bit, and the ne- right? Because we were, as my wife said, you're climbing up the ladder to fall off a cliff. Okay, that's how we lived. And so we were scared. We were a little, how's this gonna work? And so we began to ask God, please God, lessen our appetites. Lessen our desire for the things of the world and please give us the desire of things of your heart. And God heard our cry. And God changed our heart and our mind and we began to desire more and more of what God desires. Are you following me? Prayer. The second I learned from my AA and NA buddies. And that's, and that's create a, a resentment and a gratitude list. And, and in your worship guide, if you grabbed one, there's a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a little card in there. On one side, it says resentment list. On the other side, it says gratitude list. And your homework, yes, I'm giving you homework this week. Your homework, and if you didn't get one, you can get one as you exit. What I want you to do is I want you to sit this week and write out the who and the what of your resentments. Who do you resent? What do you resent in life? And why? You got space? If 
you need more space, get a notebook. And on the other side, it's, well, there's so much power when you actually write out your resentments. Get them down. I'm gonna challenge you that that person that you resent, <laughs> make that person a part of your prayer list. That'll change dynamics. On the other side, again, that gratitude list. And when we start listing down everything that God has blessed us with and given to us, we start listing out all that stuff. Normally, it begins to change the way we view our resentments. <laughs> okay? Are you, are you following me this morning? And then maybe, just maybe, we can say what the Apostle Paul says in Philippians chapter 4, beginning in verse 11. He says, I'm not saying this because I'm in need. And right before that, he had said, hey, thanks for, thanks for caring about me. But he wants them to know that, hey, look, I, I'm not saying all this stuff I said about you because maybe, maybe they're helping him out now. He's, but he, he says this, I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or want. Verse 13 is so misused. And I want to put it in its proper context. This is our memory verse verses this week, these 11 through 13. And on your worship guide, you can cut them out and put it, put it on your fridge. I'm putting them on my fridge. So I put last week's on my fridge and I'm memorizing that one. And then I'm gonna put this one, I'm gonna memorize this one. Verse 13, a lot of people know, but it, I wanna make sure we understand the context of it. Paul says this, I can do all this. And what is the this that he's talking about? Man, I can live a life of contentment. That's what he's talking about. I can do all this. I can live a life of contentment through him who gives me strength because I can't do it on my own. The only way we can live this life of contentment is God's spirit in us, changing the way we think, changing our heart desires. Are you following me this morning? So I have to ask you, is there anybody here this morning who wants God to move you from a life of coveting to a life of contentment? Because it will result in a life of joy and peace. Will you bow your heads this morning, close your eyes, and just, just join me in this, in this prayer if you like. Oh God, you tell us in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, that if we seek your kingdom and your righteousness, if we just seek you and trust that you'll take care of the rest, Man, you will lead us to a life of blessing. And we're not talking about, we're talking about relational. Mm. You will lead us to a life of purpose. We'll understand that we matter. You'll lead us to a life of freedom. In essence, you will move us from living a life of coveting to a life of contentment. Oh God, please. Help our desires to become your desires. Oh God, may you, may you use us. May we be focused on your priorities, sharing your love and your truth and your grace and your mercy with everyone that you put in our sphere of influence. May we become a people of praise. 
May we become a, a words of life people. When we see someone just doing something well, may we not, may not like, oh, I want that. To, no, may we just celebrate with them. And in our celebration, may they just feel like they can just relax with us, especially if they're not a follower of you that, wow, this is someone that may actually care about me. And God, we're asking that you move in their heart and that they may ask us, hey, why, why can you just celebrate? Because there's other people in my life, they're always like, oh, they got this, I can't, I can't be happy in my family because I don't know, they just can't accept me for me. And then we can open our mouths and say, well, and I'm just living this life of contentment that God has given to me. And I just celebrate with you. You wanna come follow this God that can give you peace and joy that you may be hungry for? Oh God, please. Please transform. Please remake us. Please God, make us a people of your contentment and then use us to change our community, change our households, change our families, change our neighborhood, change our workplaces. In Jesus' mighty name, we pray and ask, amen. All I can think of to do right now is just to thank Jesus for everything that Jesus has done for us. And when we focus our attention there, all those resentments, they kind of they kind of go away. So will you stand with me this morning and join our worship team as they, as they lead us in thanking and worshiping our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Sing grace that flows. Grace that flows like a Set me. 
late teens, I want to address you. This coveting thing, it's rampant in schools. Don't covet what you're not. Just be who God has created you to be. And that's beautiful. And that's good. And that's awesome. And encourage each other. Don't fall into the nonsense trap. I need this or I need to look this way. I need to, I I, I want what they, no. You're beautiful. You're a creation of God. You have value. You matter. Are you with me? Yeah. Pray for our teens. We want to encourage you. Encourage each other. Man, may you go today. May May you allow God to move you from a life of coveting to a life of contentment. May you allow God to use you to show the world that there is a more beautiful way to live. May God use you in school this week to show your peers that there's a more beautiful way to live. It's okay to be me, how God created me to be. Are you with me? Man, may you go, may you be that people. May God use you to change this community. You're dismissed to go.